You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello, friends. Welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We're already having fun here, and we haven't even launched into our show. Just anticipating this topic tonight. This is our show that is for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own. We are the show that is grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert on the East Coast, actually in Long Island tonight, coming to you from uh, Great Neck, Long Island, with my dear friend, co-host, and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg, representing the West Coast. West Coast. And the West Coast is so beautiful. Just got back, <laughs> just got back from Yosemite. Mm-hmm. And um, highly recommended to anybody listening anywhere. I would say coming into Yosemite Valley is one of the most beautiful valleys in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just breathtaking. Beautiful. Half Dome on one side, El Capitan on the other. And we had a ball. It was great hiking and wonderful air. Oh, good. Did you have any psychedelic experiences? Uh, I did, but without any drugs. Oh, good. That'll be part of our storytelling tonight, then. It sort of represents half of our theme, right? Yep. So we ask our dear listeners today, does anybody want to expand their mind and their consciousness? Have you experimented with drugs? Or are you dead set against drugs? Do you feel stuck in a spiral of issues, limiting thoughts, situations you can't seem to break out of, and perhaps you're looking for new ways to shift and to reset? Well, tonight, psychedelics, healing, and enlightenment. We are broaching the controversial topic of drugs, their history, our history, and the comeback that they're making. And we want to do a note right at the top of the show that we are simply having a conversation because this is a topic that really has been getting um, a lot more bandwidth again in recent years. We are not in any way recommending that anybody start um, or continue to to uh, experiment or explore drugs. Simply giving you some thoughts and some background, right? Yes. Do we have to talk about our experiences? Yes, we do. This is a this is a come clean, excavate skeletons out of the closet <laughs> confessional. Yeah. Oh, it's a confessional. Yeah, it's a confessional, or maybe that it's just a, this, it's a tutorial. This story is going to go on for seven hours if I have to confess. <laughs> I know. Between the two of us, this could be. We just one day we'll just have a, a whole show or a whole series on just our our life confessions. So let's talk a little bit first about the difference between um, the different categories of drugs. Be it, um, I guess we'll start with just a broad two two prong category of psychedelics and psychoactive drugs, right? Because we're talking about specifically drugs that um, can potentially um, heighten awareness, consciousness, um, and deal with a lot of other um, uh, issues. New, new research that's coming out that can help with. Um, for more medicinal purposes, and we'll speak a little bit more about that in a moment as well. But let's well, talk first about the difference. Well, psychoactive drugs can be anything like marijuana, things that affect the the mental aspect or the mm-hmm. mood aspect, and um, amphetamines, marijuana, antidepressants. Uh, psychoactive, you could also say that psychedelics are psychoactive because mm-hmm. they... they uh, impact that part of the body. Um, the psychedelics um, 
uh, obviously have been illegal for a long time. Right. So they're in that uh, very different category from other psychotropic drugs like antidepressants, mood stabilizers, anti-anxiety drugs. Those are what we're familiar with. But the psychedelics are now being used, and that's what our topic is today, mm-hmm. for very important in very important research around the world and in the United States. And I'm not going to go into it because that's what our show is about, but they're being used for alcoholism, for treatment-resistant depression, for trauma, post-traumatic syndrome. Right. Uh, things like that. We'll go into it more as we go on. Mm-hmm. And specifically when we talk about like treatment of depression, alcoholism, PTSD, autism, social anxiety, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that most of the drugs that are being used now toward that type of treatment fall into the um, like psilocybin um, medicinal mushroom category and MDMA category, right? Are those the ones that are most popular? They're using three, LSD, that is being used, but psilocybin and MDMA, which is also known on the streets, which mm-hmm. was where I used it, ecstasy. confession, mm-hmm. called ecstasy. Mm-hmm. So MDMA and psilocybin are being used primarily with right. some LSD. Right. And was it, now this is my, my, my unofficial memory that, and this is the part that's so fascinating. I mean, here we are in what, 2021? And these things that were on the, you know, very um, uh, on the forefront and more pervasive in the, you know, um, 60s and early 70s with um, people at, you know, at the forefront like Timothy Leary's and Ter- Terrence McKenna's, etc. Yeah. But um, wasn't it true that like, um, is it wasn't LSD legal until like the, wasn't it like the, the 70s, mid, late 70s and MDMA maybe in the early 80s or am I mistaken uh i don't know actually when the drugs behave became prohibited but they were about it was about 40 years ago so Mm. that would probably bring us to the late 70s Mm. and uh there were governmental regulations that came down pharmaceutical companies stopped producing them and there was a silence that fell over the land for 40 years. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what it is? Maybe it feels recent to me because I started all my most of my experimentation in college in the 80s, the early to mid 80s. Right. So these things had just been sort of outlawed while I was That's transitioning right. into that first experimental. I've had a few different experimental chapters of my life. And so at the time, it felt like, wow, this is such a um, you know, a taboo and illegal and, um, un, uh, you know, um, what's, uh, just unacceptable practice. Right. And it had just been used. I had a friend in college used to tell me about, a you know, therapy that he was doing in, um, in Los Angeles with the ther- you know, a therapist and MDMA. Exactly. And now here we are again, like with the maps programs, right? Absolutely. Maps. Should what is say, the MAPS program? What is yeah, that's because I know you love you you yeah because I know you love the acronym because you've been practicing the long version of it. So <laughs> tell us. <laughs> Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And that's been going on for like how long? What's the primary? The in- primary intention? idea is to um, really create an environment where the psychedelic the psychedelic research becomes part of science mm-hmm. and the idea would be to create a situation where it would be approved and some of these are near approval not too far right now because of the research and the efficacy of it mm-hmm. to create a situation where people can use their insurance to pay for psychotherapy-assisted psychedelic work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's where things are moving. Because it's mighty expensive. I have um, somebody in my in my orbit who has been actively um, using this program in the last year or two. And, you know, it's like a few thousand bucks every time that you do it. 
depending no, on your the therapist. It's certainly and the not setup. inexpensive. Yeah, the idea of it being um, used more um, commonly and for people to have access to it because it has had such remarkable um, results with some of these deeper issues too. The idea um, is to... And I'll, I can go into it later, but the idea is to have a supervised and assisted session. Right. So there's intentionality and there is an understanding of what a person wants to work with, where they've been psychologically, and then good follow up. The other one, actually, that we didn't, we haven't talked about recently, that is that bears um, mentioning here is ayahuasca, which is a plant medicine that's extremely popular um, source from the Amazon jungle, um, mm. which has become a very popular thing in the last, I don't know, again, I'm you know, ten years for people traveling to um, Peru and other Central and South American countries, and now Absolutely. has. Right. And it's made its way over the last handful of years to some of the major um, cities or areas where people are um, doing it, you know, locally in, in different sacred spaces. Um, so the roots of psychoactive or psychotropic or psychedelic medicine to be used for healing, healing and raising consciousness and self-awareness is really a very, is deeply rooted in indigenous cultures, probably originally. Oh, that's when it was used. Um, uh, and it was used in ritual. Right. And it was used as a re tool of remembrance. And it was used as a way of reconnecting with the gods. I and like that certainly idea reconnecting with the gods and reconnecting with oneself. And I will tell the story about living with a Navajo roadman uh, for a little while who I invited to stay at my house and how he taught me about ceremony. And he was somebody who led peyote ceremonies around the United States. Do you want to share that now? Or you want to you, wait? Would you like me to? Yeah, I love your stories. Why not? Really? Okay, so um, I met him doing a sweat lodge. He was doing sweat lodges in the valley here. And uh, he needed a place to stay for a couple of weeks, and I offered up my townhouse. And he was sleeping downstairs, and he taught me, the first thing he taught me were, uh, was the American, in the Native American tradition of smoke the smoke ceremony, the mm -hmm. tobacco ceremony. Mm -hmm. And he said the Native Americans always knew that the white man would die of cancer because mm. tobacco was never supposed to be used recreationally. Mm. It was supposed to be used as signals to the gods if you had questions or intentions that you wanted to put out. Wow. And um, i just tell you one day uh, he was there making a drum which he called the water drum, which he used in ceremony. And that water drum was a, just a like a figure eight cylinder with no hooks on it. And he was creating a drum out of it with leather, his leather mm -hmm. pieces and long leather strings. And I didn't know how it was like a magic trick. <laughs> I didn't know how he was doing it. And I remember pulling the car out of the garage and as soon as the car got out of the garage, I was completely startled because they were honestly true, over 100 crows on the roof, mm -hmm. all carrying on. And I took the car back into the garage, went into the living room, and I said, Dooley, do you know that there are crows on the roof? There are hundreds mm -hmm. of crows. And he said, the crows always come when I make the drum. <laughs> 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 so duly new. So that's my duly story. Mm, he taught me a lot. It. He really taught me a lot. It's really it's um it's a pretty spectacular thing when you bump into people that influence your life like that and kind of wake you up to those special moments, especially ritual. As I'm listening to you, I'm just having lots of memories coming back to different sweat lodges I've done around the world and the you know, when you get the real deal like the indigenous people of different cultures that lead them. It's a very powerful experience. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our history with with um, psychedelics and psychoactive drugs, um, you know, and also our intention for the show, right? 
I think uh, we talked about our intention for the show being to just remind all of us that there is a higher place, something that's bigger than us, our divinity, a sense of oneness and source. And, you know, again, the, 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 the intention of the show is not to talk anybody into doing drugs, certainly, but to remind us of the end goal, which I think we, a lot of us, especially if you're on a certain path, share which is the desire to um, come into more divinity, more of a relationship with our highest realms, regardless of how you do it. And I think one thing to say about that, uh, I'm aware of having done psychedelics, but also having meditated since I was 21, um, is that what both of them are able to do is release the constraints and the limitations of the ego, right. which the ego being that which is very important because it creates our individuality. But what it also does, it creates our separation. Right. And it separates us from our own being, our own source often. And so in both those cases, psychedelics and meditation, they allow the release of the ego so we can begin to experience the vastness and the infinite potential of our being. Beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah, no, really, it's, <laughs> it's really, it, it's, it's beautiful. I also wanted to remind our callers, if you'd like to call in, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to share any stories, pose any questions, give us any of your thoughts, the number is 816 816- Two five one three five 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 eight one six two five one three five five five. So we're talking about psychedelics, healing, and enlightenment. And to your point, Steve, I think one of the sort of end games, and then we'll work backwards again and talk about our our roots and our experimental stages in life, is that you know again, like um, our beloved Ramdas was another prime example of this. Somebody who was you know um, very early on playing with uh, the experimentation around psychedelics and then ultimately found that the highest consciousness he could find was through a very devout practice um, his spiritual journey and deep meditation and yoga just to simplify things um, don't want to don't want to undermine his story because it's quite a beautiful one I just wanted to mention a few things here to give a little bit more e efficacy to what yeah. we're talking about. I was reading on the internet that in 2019, which is just a couple of years ago, right before we went into the lockdown, a number of things happened that really changed the climate about psychedelic research. One was Michael Pollan's book about how to change mm. your mind, and mm -hmm. we certainly recommend that. People want to follow up and, and learn about psychedelics and the MAPS program. Uh, the FDA uh, uh, kind of designation of a breakthrough status for psycho for psych for psilocybin assisted psychotherapy for treatment resistant depression. That's kind of phase three stuff before it's actually becomes lawful. Deregulation of psychedelics in Colorado, Oregon, and Oakland, California. I found out that mm -hmm. Oakland, California has uh, deregulated your favorite drug, ayahuasca. <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't done and have been thinking about for a long time. But and still my two favorite. Center, two centers were established. Center for Psychedelic Research at Empirical College in London. Huge advance. Center for Psychedelics and Consciousness at John Hopkins which also began new research on uh, Alzheimer's, post-treatment Lyme disease, and anorexia. Mm. And here's a big one, so interesting. Psilocybin nasal sprays for microdosing created by pharmaceuticals in Canada. Wow, that's and, sheer genius and easy to travel with. Right, and a whole new slew of research in Europe. So wow. I, I just want to let people know what's going on in the world. Yeah, it's really, I mean, yeah, definitely legit and good, proper research and money's being put into this. Also, um, Tim Ferriss, life hacker, best-selling author, podcast extraordinaire, 
um, in the last two years ish. Right. Um, given his own um, deep experiences and awakenings through this kind of work, uh, I think um, wrangled um, some of his colleagues, friends, connections, people, wealthy people. You know, um, that and um, and I think raised like ten million dollars for um, for research program. either the map maps right. program, yeah. which is um, you know a beautiful thing and also just just testament to you know how much play this is getting and how important it is and how many people are you know in need. So I um you know just so many memories kind of flooding back as we're as we're kind of broaching this topic. Um, but. <laughs> having the weirdest memory about like what started me on my desire to experiment with all this. And I would say, you know, as a kid, I was a very straight laced kid and, uh, afraid of most things from boys to, you know, drugs to beer to, you know, I was just like very, very straight laced and pretty, um, yeah, pretty afraid of a lot of things. And I do remember seeing like a photograph of my cousins, like in an old scrapbook or, um, like photo book, photo album, where there's like a big bong or some sort of a hookah in front of them. And I remember being really afraid, like it felt like the most kind of dirty, shadowy thing to me. And it was just my association with any of this. So it really wasn't until I, um, and, and so here's the part that's just kind of popping in as I'm thinking about why I started on a deeper level. I, um, was as a kid, very living in sort of the periphery of friendships. I didn't have, I was a little socially inept. I didn't have like one tribe of people and I had friends, but you know, always a little bit on like the, like I said, like a little feeling a little marginalized. And I remember maybe in grade school, um, as a little Jewish girl in New Jersey in a community where there weren't a lot of Jewish kids going to one of those, is it CYE, like, um, Christian or Catholic youth organization, CYO meetings with some people in school. And I just, it had nothing to do with the religious piece, but I remember how tightly bonded they all seemed and how openly vulnerable they seem with each other. And it's just sparking that that was probably one of my moments of really feeling a conscious awareness that I had more, a desire to feel more communion. That was like a conscious memory. Mm-hmm. And it went on from there. So, And you know me well enough to know I have like an, a little bit of an obsession with the idea of tribe and communion and having a, a deeper um, and more constant under, um, relationship with higher realms, right? So I would say it went from there. But for me, it really all happened in college where I started experimenting with a lot of different things and having really beautiful, memorable experiences, plenty of stories I can share and then stopped after college and then with a boyfriend of mine in my early 30s when I became a huge traveler and bohemian, gyp, fabulous gypsy girl. And then I was doing a lot of um, LSD and MDMA with him in all kinds of exotic, beautiful places around the world. So I could tell lots of stories, but that was sort of my trajectory. So the first time it was more experimental and recreational, then it was more about the depth of my um, love and relationship with this guy that I was with, Mm. and probably a little bit more of a mindfulness because we were now in our 30s. And there was a little more of a mindfulness. I wasn't interested in going to rave parties. It was more about the introspection and the relational piece of it. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting what it what it can bring, and the different ways that it finds us, you know, you know, that's good. I think mine went on the similar, very similar trajectory that it started as entertainment. Then I used it as an into uh, a, a kind of uh, elixir of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then it became a very mindful, intentional uh, medicine. I used it as plant medicine at different times more rarely to figure out stuff going on in my life. And so um, I think that when I used it intentionally and I would take off by myself after I was married and spend a couple of days alone, usually near an ocean and a beach, and um, make very strong intentions and do yogic breathing with it, in order to kind of uh, pull myself out of certain quicksand or whirlpools of emotion that I was in. And it always seemed to work. And that was with you self-directed because you already had enough kind of experience to guide yourself without having an, an, another person there. 
Yeah, it was always self-directed. But again, the idea of the kind of research that's going on now is so important. And actually, when we come back from the break, I'd, I'd really like to talk about a client of mine who, for, who had one of the most um, dramatically difficult childhoods that I had ever come across and how she thought that she was an absolute monster mm. and what happened to her during one of her MAP sessions because she signed up um, as a volunteer for a MAP session and a number of them and contacted me about 10 years later and let me know what she realized. Wow. All right. Well, that's a good tease of a story to tee up. So, um, yeah, I think that there's, I know so many people that I've met along the way. I mean, I've heard some really horrible stories and experienced them, not personally, but I remember being in college and having some friends like down the hall in my dormitory, having bad trips and coming into my room and having to, you know, figure out ways without having any real experience to kind of comfort them and, and bring them down and settle them. And then there's the experiences on the other side of the spectrum where people are, you know, have had very powerful mind-opening, healing experiences as well in all kinds of ways. So when we come back, we're going to talk further about that. Steve will share a story. We'll talk a little bit more about the different ways that we can develop higher consciousness with drugs and without them. We will be right back. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are happy to have you. We are talking about psychedelics, healing, and enlightenment. And Steve and I were starting to share some of our stories. Um, let's follow up on the, uh, the story that you teased out before commercial break and then we'll go to why I'm giggling through some of the conversations we just had during our, our break. You were talking about your client. Right. So my client who went through a horrific kind of childhood that you'd only read about in a, a novel mm. always thought of herself as so deeply damaged and um, a self-described monster. And um, I hadn't heard from her for about 10 years. And she got in touch with me and told me that she volunteered and was selected to be in this MAPS program with the use of psilocybin. And so um, she had two beginning sessions before uh, ingesting psilocybin, talking about what she had gone through and what she wanted to work on with and during the first 45 minutes of her psilocybin trip after about 45 minutes the monster came to her unsolicited didn't wasn't thinking about it had put mm -hmm. it away for a long time and the monster was front and center and she didn't even confront the monster, but that she saw the monster was like vapor. Uh -huh. And it was like the Wizard of Oz. And there was really nothing behind it. And there was no meaning to it. But she had habituated it because of the way she mm -hmm. was treated. Mm -hmm. And she started laughing because it was like a vaporous <laughs> structure. And she laughed for 45 minutes and she couldn't stop. And then she started crying and then she started laughing. And from that point on, she said, and this was two years later when she called me, from that point on, she never thought of herself as a monster again. She felt completely free to be her, her authentic self. And she was looking for ways of expressing her innate instincts and power and intuition in brand new ways without falling prey to this specter and this ghost that had been following her around mm -hmm. since she was seven years old. 
so beautiful. God bless her, number one. And what a great success story of using these drugs well. And it sounds like it just speaks to, in some ways, the joke that's on us about the, it's never to minimize people's stories. And it sounds like she dealt with some very serious traumas as a child without knowing her story. Um, And so that's all very real. And then there's the part where our brains just get so familiar with them and keep those narratives so deeply embedded that we live from that place. And maybe it's all one big illusion and it just takes the right therapy or the right drug experience or the right lysergic meditative retreat or whatever it does to remind us that it's not really there or it's not really us, I should say. It's just right, it's not, not us. Our, at our core. It's not us. Right. And that sounds like that's what we're talking about in terms of what these drug experiences can offer and what high meditation and yogic practices can do as well. Um, And the other thing that you've always, um, when we've had these conversations about like, who's a good candidate should, you know, do it, don't do it. Um, People that I know that have almost gotten, I don't know if you can technically be addicted to ayahuasca, the people that I know that have been going like, you know, to Peru twice a month for years to, um, to, you know, to do medicine down there and always very deeply intended. These are people I know that are very smart and awake and successful. And, um, but it sounds like it can get to the point where it, how is it sustainable if you're just relying on that as your baseline instead of figuring out what you're doing inside of these um, in between these experiences to tie it all together and create a thread that's not based on the drugs which have more of a like a a reset or an extreme sort of um, experience but can't be sustainable every day you've talked about it your crashes when you had these like high experiences and then you'd come down right i mean um the you can think of the drug as a good explosive you know, you put dynamite <laughs> on a rock and it blows up. And mm-hmm. so psychedelics... Blow up your stories. Right? Psychedelics are good to open doorways. They're good to open the mind. They're good to open the heart. They're good to open the portal. Not always, but often. Um, because sometimes people have bad trips as well. But what's important and why the MAPS program is important and the new research is that you really get the most out of them, A, when they're used intentionally, and B, when they're guided and you have good follow-up. And that now that you know there's a possibility of happiness, possibility of inner freedom, then how do I sustain it? And you sustain it by doing good inner work, psychotherapy, yogic inner work, whatever you're into, spiritual work, you you do that to sustain the freedom and the hope and the beauty that you experience during the psychedelic trip. Right. And also to keep your power so that you're not giving your power away Perfect. to an outside substance or to an outside person, that we all have the ability to get there, maintain it wherever there is, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, whatever our intention is, Obviously, with the help and the aid of, you know, of, of these drugs, if, if one so chooses, but never to give your power away to think that that's what you need in order to break through whatever it is you want to break through from or to. That's really a great point. So we have a caller on the line. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Um, my name is Lisa and I'm calling from California. Do you have a question have, or a comment, story, I, I, a sorted a, story to share? No, I've just got a quick question that came to me. Um, it's for Steve. As a psychotherapist, would you recommend microdosing to a client who had um, anxiety or depression? That's a, that's a great question. Um, the idea, first of all, what is microdosing? Uh, microdosing is something um, that's really only happened maybe in the last couple of years, two or three years. 
And that's using small doses of LSD or psilocybin. And the, the point of doing very, it's like almost a homeopathic dose. The point mm -hmm. of doing that is to see instead of using an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety mm -hmm. medication, if you do microdosing, um, that can sustain more of an open-heartedness, uh, more of a focus, more of a uh, well-being in your in your nervous system. So would I do that? No, um, first. I wouldn't do it because it's not legal in California. So I have to protect mm -hmm. my license. But do I mm -hmm. think it has efficacy? Yes. I think that um, it could. There's not much research on it because it's so new. But I've, I've taken a look at the research. And for most people who are microdosing, about 28% of them feel a greater well-being about 12% of them feel uh, more focus in their life. Um, they're able to get things done more efficiently. But another group of people are challenged by it. And so they're challenged sometimes physiologically. Um, they don't have as much energy. They don't feel as much focus. They don't feel that good. And then, of course, there's the illegality which hangs over your head. Right. Um, I think it's something that is going to be used more and more in the future. And there's, I do use CBD oil because it became legal in California. And I'd say 50% of the people that I ask to use CBD or suggest that they use CBD oil instead of going right to an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication, 50% mm -hmm. of them actually feel better. And CBD, which is a byproduct of the hemp plant, uh, can be very, very effective in, in that kind of thing. So for me, it, it's in the future, and I'm not discounting it in any way. I have an open mind about it, and I may be using it soon. <laughs> Does okay. that help? It does. And does the CBD that you recommend, does that have um, any THC in it or is it no, just you can, pure you CBD? You can get something called full spectrum organic CBD oil. Not that I'm doing a commercial for it. I hope they start sponsoring the show soon. Right. Um, at dispensaries <laughs> with about less than 1% of THC. So you would never feel it. Okay. So there's there's right, no hallucinogenic or high part of it that you would feel, but it acts as a a good uh, kind of uh, medication. So like anti anxiety, antidepressant. It can do that for anti for anxieties and depressions that aren't too severe. Okay, great. That's good to know. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate the call. Okay, bye-bye. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not really familiar. I mean, I'm very familiar with that, the, the existence of CBD oil, and I know a lot of people that use it more like for pain. I've actually never, maybe I've tried it once when I like borrowed one from a friend or something, but I'm not aware of the um, expanse of how, how it's used. And I know that a lot of people are grateful that it's become more widely available and legal. And sounds like it's one of those steps on the ladder of like if the base of the ladder which is going to lead into my next sort of um, talking point here if the base of the ladder is how you feel the challenges that you feel and then there's all the different rungs with the top rung being something that might be more extreme like doing a psychedelic or um, doing some sort of a medicine journey and in between are things like marijuana therapy i'm not putting these in any particular order cbd oil it sounds like that's a really um good one to to try as a it's as a good a one nuanced way i have found any side effects with it mm -hmm. when my clients have used it some people also use it for insomnia so it has a lot of uses a hemp plant is quite a universal plant for clothing and I getting know. high and sleeping Putting it in your breakfast yogurt <laughs> that's what i do i'm a big hemp seed person yeah granola <laughs> 
in your matcha granola. <laughs> Let's talk about, um, well, first of all, during the break, we were chuckling a little bit because we were talking about all the places that, um, like you were talking about Oakland, California, and we were talking about Portland, Oregon. And we had said that a few months ago when we, were, um, when, when we learned that Oregon, or at least Portland, legalized some of these, um, the usage of these drugs, that suddenly there were no therapists to be found because everybody overnight wanted to be a practitioner of like therapeutic psychedelic, you know, uh, processes, right? Nobody could find right. the shrink. <laughs> it was all the rage or that now like Oakland, um, give me the list one more time of like everything that you're hearing as being at least well, uh, in some o way legalized o or accessible. Oakland deregulated, um, MDMA, DMT, LSD, psilocybin and ayahuasca recently. So it doesn't mean that it's all being sold in dispensaries, but it means that if you're caught with it, you won't be thrown into the clinker. <laughs> um, which is not a bad thing to not be thrown into the clinker. Um, that's for another show. Um, but what's amazing and the part that I have mixed feelings about, and I do know a good amount of people that are actively doing like medicine in like New York city or, you know, upstate New York or wherever. And I know it's happening in all different parts of the country is I love the idea that, that these, I'm talking maybe more specifically about ayahuasca, which is a deeply sacred indigenous plant that's now being like, you know, shipped out of the, <laughs> their respective mother countries and shipped out of one, the Amazon right. for you in the, in the first world. Exactly. Which in and of itself, we could get into the politics of all that and what that means for the shamanic communities in those countries, etc. I like the idea that more people can have access to these experiences if that's what they choose to do and if it can be done responsibly and help and help them. The other part of me hates it because the idea of, um, you know, the sort of corporatization of ayahuasca or whatever it might be, the fact that anybody that it's not in your deep blood and DNA and soul um, from a, you know, a place of growing up around that medicine or even knowing what the root looks like as it's grown. I actually have seen it in person growing in the Amazon. Um, I have mixed feelings about all of that. Mm -hmm. Understandable. About well, I also have the, the problem with commercialization too, in terms of things I've read is that there are a lot of shamans coming out of the closet Exactly. Who, who really aren't shamans. Right. Wannabe shamans, charlatans. Charlatan shamans mm -hmm. who are not only brewing up a very sacred mix of uh, plants, but also supervising people during their journeys without any experience. Right. This is kind of dangerous business. Ayahuasca is a very powerful hallucinogenic. And um, those are things that concern me. Aside yeah. from, listen, the Native Americans here are also up in arms a bit about how these uh, sacred medicines are being used. And um, they want to keep the, the preciousness of the stories and the rituals and also the cultivation of the plants. Right. You know, when Dooley was living with me, he told me about the cultivation. He would not only run the ceremonies uh, all through the evening, they usually start, it's kind of interesting. Right. They start with a um, sweat lodge in the late, in the early evening and then they move toward the ingestion. But before the ingestion, uh, he was the one who kept everybody on intention through mm -hmm. the eight-hour journey. And they ended at uh, sunrise with another sweat lodge. Wow. That's right? a workout for your body, Lord. Wow. And he said that when he collected the peyote plants he would only go to families of plants and speak to them first right. about why he was doing this and why he needed to pull them out of the ground and the intentions that humans had and asking them for their help in all that he wanted to do with the group of tri tribe members that he was working with. So it's a, it's a process. 
Yeah. And it's nothing that we've been trained in. We don't have a precious relationship with nature in that way. No, we don't. In a lot of ways, we don't. But that's a side note. Yeah. But especially when it comes to when it comes to these plants, and that's the other part that concerns me is even like the energetic DNA has the potential and the threat of being um, dissipated. You know, all of it, like the preciousness and the sanctity, like you said, of your friend and just the the preparation, the fact that these plants, the experience of them, you know, shamans start with their first shamanic experiences, like in the Amazon, for example, when they're young kids. That's correct. You know, and, um, and not because they're doing it to get high or be recreational, because it's part of their rites of passage and their consciousness breeding That's- or growing and... Like the idea that all of that could um, run the risk of getting uh, sort of evaporated or removed from the whole experience and the energy and the kind of DNA makeup of these, you know, of these drugs is just, uh, it's concerning to me. And yet I'm also happy that more people will be able to do it. I don't know. Right. And maybe it's something that we can um, reinstate in some way if there are individuals who are more enlightened and open to plant medicine and to make sure some of these um, beautiful ceremonies become part of the journey that people are taking. I hope so. Since I've also bumped into stories um, first and second hand when I've been in you know foreign countries where um, people had fatal experiences with charlatan shaman even in those respective you know countries where right. it was where it originated. So you know, that's a tall order. I hope you're right. I'd love to see that happen. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Mother medicine's bigger than us, so maybe she will keep it under control. We'll see. I like I that know. a lot. I hope so. Um, so before we talk about our action steps, which are not our traditional action steps tonight, because we're not <laughs> telling anybody what to do when it comes to this topic, but I think it's important quickly to set um, apart, especially in your professional opinion, who might be more, um, uh, let's say, right versus wrong, but who might be more um, a better candidate than someone else when it comes to the needs that you have for this type of experimentation? Like people that are, um, you know, people that have already been in therapy and done a lot of inner work, people that haven't had success with inner work yet, people that haven't bothered, you know, do you have any sense of where the um, the wise choices and not so wise choices land? Well- Listen, the first wise choice is if you've had um, chronic kinds of depression or anxiety, you don't really want to do these uh, journeys, which they're called trips in the old days. You don't want to do these journeys alone because a 50-50 shot is you're going to be overwhelmed with the unconscious material that starts surfacing. Right, because it's a and big magnifying glass. We have to remember all these things are a magnifying glass, really. They really are. You're going to look at a mirror of your psyche, and it's going to show you things that you like and you don't like both. And that's even the work, you know, the work that I do every day. Those two possibilities are always there. We're going to contact the beauty and infinity of our being. or We're going to see some things that could horrify us. And so when things horrify us, if you're not under supervision with somebody like in Oregon, what I was telling you during the break is not only are they deregulating psilocybin and some other psychedelics, but they're setting up uh, groups of therapists who are going to be trained in a formal way to have assistant. They'll be assisting people with the use of psychedelics for good purposes and good intentions. And so I'd say people who aren't suffering or haven't suffered from uh, acute depression and things like that, I think they, you know, people are going to try what they try. (laughs) But I, I think that the warning is if you've had things that have, you've been suffering from for many years, don't do it by yourself. Right. Right. That can definitely be um, a, a dangerous and tricky proposition when you don't know what to expect right. and you don't know what your unconscious is going to do that day. Right. You know, you really, you really don't. Um, 
Yeah, so many things just came up and I just uh, they just kind of slipped through as I was listening to you. That's how entranced I was. Um, I also think, yeah, I think um, integration is really important. Back to your point about making sure that you have the right follow-up. I think it's really important to remember that no drug is going to do the work for you. They open up the gateway. They open up the portal. They open up, they, they remove your ego and kind of take away some of the layers so you can see things more clearly. But they won't do the work for you. And again, integration is another really big piece of that. So action steps are not exactly action steps tonight. Um, our bottom line for this is that we really encourage everybody to do your own research, talk to some well-reputed professionals to get advice if this is something that you're considering. And the other thing is, if it's not something you're considering, and it certainly doesn't need to be, um, you know, we always advocate for the for the deep meditation and spiritual practices, because ultimately that can take you to the same place, but it might not do it in the most quick magic bullet immediate kind of way. It takes a lot more vigilance and patience and time to kind of ramp up your practice to take you to the higher but it, heights. Right? But it will be permanent. There's a permanence about doing it with spiritual techniques. And in an in impermanence about doing right. psychedelics, but they're good for blowing the portal open. Right. And we like that. You know, I like to think about hanging out with God. And, you know, that doesn't happen with me as regularly as I'd like it to, as you know. So that's as what I that's know. actually what prompted this whole show is me thinking over the last like year. Hmm, what am I going to do? And am I going to do it? Am I too old? Am I still brave enough? Am I afraid? That's really how this whole show came to be. So with that, um, we really just have a few references or different um, documentaries and books in the, you know, that are in the in the main that you can kind of check out just to help educate yourself. So research, do your own research. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow's documentary Goop on or docu-series on Goop um, on Netflix called Goop. But one of her first episodes was called The Healing Trip about doing mushrooms. Chelsea Handler has a documentary that was done a while back called Chelsea Does, where she goes to Peru, I believe, and does ayahuasca. Um, the MAPS program, obviously, MAPS. Is it MAPS.org, I believe, is something you yes. can check out? Is that the right website? You can and, find it on the web. And I want to mention Michael Pollan's book, which was thank you. beautifully written, How to mm -hmm. Change Your Mind. And he's also got some really cool videos of different appearances he did with universities around the country when he was touring for this book. And even if you want to get a little taste, you know, really, he's he's a spectacular speaker and writer. But those will give you just a little um, little menu, little tasting menu to help you, like, dig a little bit deeper. So with that, we want to thank everybody for joining us. You can find us on Unity Online Radio podcast. Um, also on Instagram, One Soul, at One Soul Radio, Facebook, One Soul Radio Podcast. And next week, our show is on empathy, something that we all can use a little more of. Thank you all for joining us. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.